The health revolution will not be televised. Once again, the health revolution will not be televised. And it's no more apparent than with this topic of discussion today. Worldwide fertility has dropped by more than 50% over the past 50 years. Men today only have half the number of sperm that their grandfathers had, and it is still going down. Sounds crazy. Sounds outrageous. And it sounds, quite frankly, why don't we know more about this? In this discussion today with my guests, you're going to learn much more about the global fertility crisis and much more about how this modern world is affecting us and our health and overall well-being. Stay tuned. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Executive Health. I'm your host, Julian Hayes II, back at it again with another fascinating guest. This one's very fascinating. I know I say that on every episode, but this is very fascinating. I picked up this book. It's one of those books where sometimes you read and you just really like it's just a very flowery, comfortable read and just makes you feel good. But then sometimes you read things that make you a little uncomfortable, but they're necessary. And that's what this book was. It's a very good book. But you might be leaving feeling a certain type of way after you read it and, and wondering, wow, this kind of stuff is going on. Why is my nightly news not covering this more? Why? Why is this not being on the jumbotrons? Why is this not um, having billboards? Because this is literally affecting men and women in our existence as a whole. So, but anyway, I'm here with Dr. Shauna Swan. She is one of the world's leading environmental and reproductive epidemiologists. She's also a professor of environmental medicine and public health at Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York City. She's also the author of Countdown, How Our Modern World is Threatening Sperm Counts, Altering Male and Female Reproductive Development, and Imperiling the Future of the Human Race. So without further ado, Dr. Swan, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm doing well, Julian. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. Yeah. It is fun. I will say you gave me a great excuse. One of my favorite studies in the book, you talked about that individuals, moderate to vigorous exercise per week for, I believe it was 15 hours or more, had a 73% higher sperm concentration than those who got the least amount. And I I hit that category. And, a lot, and so now I have a, even a more reason. So if anybody gives me any grief if you exercise too much, I can just say, hey, I am trying to optimize and improve my sperm count. <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> so um, the first, you know, before we even dive into this, I'm just curious, how did you stumble into this type of work? Type of work being epidemiology or sperm count? Sperm count. Okay. <clears throat> so when I started um, thinking about chemicals in the environment, that affect our body's hormones. Those are called endocrine disruptors because endocrine means hormones that disrupt, obviously. And um, I was on a committee for the um, National Academy of Sciences in Washington, and they were charged with, you know, they were asked, do these chemicals pose a threat to human health? And that was actually in the mid 90s. And um, I was invited to that committee, even though I had not worked in this area, <clears throat> but, you know, I worked as an epidemiologist, environmental epidemiologist. So <clears throat> the committee looked at this paper, which came out in 92, actually, which said that sperm count had declined 50% in 50 years. So that study is 30 years old, okay? It's not a new story that we're talking about here, right? Okay, so um, the committee asked me, because I was the only epidemiologist on the committee, 
should we worry about this? Is this something we should consider in our deliberations, right? So I read the study and I was not convinced. I thought, mm, probably not. Probably there's other things that are explaining these, this decline, right? And so I decided to, I actually took six months to answer that question. Is this study, is there a way to make this finding go away, right? And that was back in the mid nineties. And so I asked, okay, maybe how your count sperm has changed. Maybe the men have changed. Maybe they're more smoking. Maybe there's more obesity. Maybe there's more stress. Maybe there's blah, 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 blah. And so to, to really dive into this, I got all the, there were 61 studies behind this and I got all 61 and I went through each one and I created a database. And in there I put like how was sperm count measured? You know, as something about the men's age, something about their smoking and so on and so forth. Try to answer those questions, right? And so then I reran the whole model, considering all those things that I had dug out of the literature, right? And it was stunning because nothing had changed. The slope, the rate of decline was the same after controlling for all of these things as had been published. So then I'm like, whoa, wait a minute, maybe I have to change my, you know, thinking about this study and about this trend and maybe this is a problem. And that's how I got into it. So I've been chasing that since, you know, the mid nineties, you know, at least 25 years. And um, it's been an excellent and interesting journey, but disturbing because um, as, you were disturbed, I was disturbed, people who read about this are disturbed. Um, and let me just say, it's not just sperm count, and we'll get into that, I think. Mm -hmm. It's not just men, mm -hmm. and it's not just humans. So it's a really much bigger story than if you just think about the sperm count part of it. So that, that part caught my curiosity. So it's not just humans. So there's animals as well that are being affected. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, all animals are... Well, you know, many, many species, um, and we can go into detail if you want, but everybody knows that the number of species that are endangered and, you know, even in extinction has increased, right? Mm -hmm. And that's about failure to reproduce, right? So um, <laughs> that shouldn't surprise us. The number of insects in the world, even, <laughs> you know, um, and and it's, it's, it's sort of an attack on... Um, fertility and reproduction everywhere across the planet. Now, I haven't gotten into plant species, by the way. Mm -hmm. I haven't done that. But, you know, human, non-human animals. Yes. Wow. So I, I guess I guess a good place to start is, let's start with the men. Um, so why is sperm declining? And Because I, I, I read even on your website, even the book, that our grandfathers had much higher sperm counts than men of today have. Double. Double, double. That's double. Okay, so back, so at the start of our study, um, which was in 71, um, there, the sperm count was um, approximately 99 million sperm to, for a milliliter. A milliliter, you know, is this, this little area. And, and so you can talk about how many sperm in that, in a sperm sample, how many sperm are there in that milliliter, or you can talk about the total number in the whole sample. So that's that's total count, or you could talk about concentration. So when I say 
99 million per milliliter, that's a concentration. And, and that's dropped by the end of our first study, which came out in 2017, it dropped to 47. So 99 to 47, that's cut in half, right? A little over, actually, in, in, in just under 40 years. So that's a rate that actually was higher than the study that I investigated for the National Academy. The rate was now faster. Okay, and why? So you asked why, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the why question is the really hardest question. I mean, you know, really what's going on here. So, um, and I spent a lot of time talking about that and I don't know what detail you want, but let me just give the broad categories. So genetics, it's not because this is a big change in a very short time, two generations. And if you think of evolutionary change, that takes much longer and it's more gradual. Okay, so it's not genetics. Genetics might matter, but it's not driven by genetic change. Okay, so if it's not genetics, that leaves environment. That's really only those two broad categories. With environment, very broad, right? <clears throat> so what's environment? There are many things. Um, the simplest thing to talk about are the environment in your daily life, you know, and we call those maybe lifestyle factors. So they could be if you smoke, if you do drugs, if you drink, how much you drink, if you exercise, good for you, by the way, <laughs> exercise, stress, um, diet, all of these things can affect sperm count. And there are many, many, many studies showing us, some of which I've done and, and my colleagues and other people have done. So, you know, eating a lot of junk food and not eating a healthy diet matters for your sperm. And so does smoking, drinking, stressful life, lack of exercise, couch potato, potato behavior, sitting around, you know, watching that TV all night. All of those things are gonna lower your sperm, okay? And those we can talk about, but that's not the primary focus of my work. My The primary focus of my work is what about these things that we don't have a lot of control over and that we're not even aware of? And those are the chemicals that enter our bodies without our knowing about it, without our permission, if you will, uh, because we don't know about it, and have the ability to change our hormone system. And those were, by the way, exactly the chemicals that that committee asked me to look at back in the mid 90s, right? So this has been a, a subject since then. Wow. And so we can go into what those are, but um, just broadly, they're everywhere. They're in our cosmetics, they're in our food, they're in our water. Now we know that they're broken down. So big, bad player is plastics, and now we have microplastics. I'm sure you heard about that. Mm -hmm. Those are in water and air and dust and, you know, in our everywhere <laughs> and and um so we have no control of those we do have some control over the products we buy and the kind of food we buy and how we treat that food because food is a really big player here because you imagine it goes directly into our body very, mm -hmm. you know but the chemicals can come in through food through water through inhalation like in dust and you know nail polish and you know if you plug in a wall freshener, it gives off a lot of bad chemicals, by the way. You don't want to plug in a wall freshener. And so breathing, 
things that go in through our skin, like personal care products, they get absorbed in the skin, we get it that way. So there's a lot of entries into our body. And these chemicals come in every way, every way they can. Um, so it's hard to say how much of the decline in sperm is lifestyle, mm -hmm. how much of it is chemical, but um, undoubtedly they both play an important role. And, and we know from experiments that specific chemicals like specific pesticides or specific phthalates and so on and so forth actually lower sperm count. Hmm. So, yeah. And I think there was a, there was a 2017 study and then there was an update on that, correct? Right. Yes. And, and so can we talk about that a little bit and explain that? I, Cause I thought I found that very fascinating. Sure. So the 2017 study was our attempt to update that earlier study, the mid 90s study, which actually 92 study. So that was our attempt to update that, bring that up to date. And, but we could do it better because there's new methodology, there's new databases and so on. So what we did was we, with a librarian, reference librarian, went through the world's literature to find any study that satisfied our criteria. If you want to know, I can tell you what they are. But basically, it has to be had to be about sperm concentration, and it had to not be about special groups of men who might have particularly high or low sperm count, right? And we wanted them to be representative of the general population, these men. And what we did was pull out, same as I did back in the 90s, pulled out the results of the study and also things that could affect those results. How were the sperm measured? How old were the men? How obese were they? How much did they smoke? Blah, 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 right? And when we put that all together, we had sort of a modern version of that 92 study. And what we found was pretty much the same thing, but we had brought it up to date. Um, the sperm was still declining at about 1% per year, a little above that. And um, that went viral, actually. That was a huge study. It was the most, let's see, 27th most cited study in the world that year. You know, so in the published literature. And then <clears throat> we thought, well, what's going on now? Because actually, we, you know, that's early 2017 and what's going on now, right? So we decided to update it. And that update came out actually a month ago. I think it was late November. And that was really interesting because we found two, th two major things. The first had to do with geography and the second had to do with rate of decline. Okay, so why is geography important? Well, in our 2017 paper, we had broken studies down into broad geographic categories. And basically we looked at con continental groups of studies and we had a lot of information about North America and Europe and also Australia and New Zealand, but very little information about other continents. Okay, and the other continents, what are those? Asia, Africa, South America. So the results of the 2017 study were really only, we only found significant declines in Europe, North America, Australia, New Zealand. And that, not that the other continents were affected, we didn't know, there just wasn't enough data. There was some decline, but it wasn't significant. 
And so one of our main goals in this update was to say, <clears throat> okay, new studies have come out. What do they tell us about those comments? And what we found was that there was indeed a significant decline worldwide, every continent that we looked at. Wow. So that was important because it wasn't just a, you know, part of the world. It was the whole world that we showed. Did wow. you want to ask the question? No, that just, that just has my mind spinning. Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, even just to hear it continually, it's just, it's just shocking to me that it's, yeah. you know, cause at first thought, I thought, okay, maybe this is a problem a lot of times in more Western developed countries, right? Cause yes, we, exactly. Exactly. That's, what, that's what I was thinking at first. And then to find out that, no, this is everywhere. So you can't even just say this is just from our modern convenient lifestyle. This is a worldwide problem. Exactly. 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 And in fact, we were criticized <clears throat> with that first study for focusing just on Western men. And that mm -hmm. was, you know, we're biased in some way, but we weren't, we just didn't, the data weren't out there. But the other thing we found, which is really, should probably alarm you even a little more is that the speed at which sperm count is declining has accelerated since our first study. Oh, man. So um, the first study found a decline of about 1% per year. But if you look at studies published after 2000, um, the rate went up to 2.6% per year. Okay. So it's it more than doubled in just these last 20, approximately 20 years. So that's, I think, even a little scarier, you know, it's, it's everywhere now and it's getting worse. That's the, that's the message of our update. So, I mean, part of me is thinking there's no way that it can continue to go this fast because you can't just get to zero or anything. And well, I guess, can, can you? <laughs> well, no, no, it, well, has to, it has to slow down at some point, right? It does, it does, it has to slow, the decline has to slow down. That's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. And what we're looking at is an average. And you know, if you think about like an average, think about average weight, mm -hmm. that can never go to zero because then a lot of people would have negative weight, right? <laughs> if you think about the curve, right? Here's zero in the middle and got to have something on either side. Okay, it's the same thing with sperm count. If you're looking at the average, which is what these declines are, <clears throat> and you, you, if it were zero, then you'd have negative sperm count, which is not possible. Can't have less than zero sperm. Yeah. Okay, so, so what does that mean? So all biology, all biological trends have this property that they can approach a limit, and our limit is zero. They can approach that limit and come closer and closer to it, but not ever touch it. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So it declines, declines, but can't become zero. However, declining that much is really kind of scary because it turns out that this concentration, as it gets lower and lower, means that it takes longer and longer to conceive a pregnancy, makes it less and less likely that you'll conceive a pregnancy naturally, because it's all natural. This is all, none of this is assisted reproduction, as far as we could tell. We tried to, you know, control for that. And, and um, so what that means is that as time goes on, unless there's some very big, dramatic, fast change, we're going to depend on medical interventions and assisted reproduction more and more for 
reproduce, you know, for us to reproduce. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm also thinking because um, so epigenetics is a big part of some of the work I do with uh, with clients, and 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 so I'm thinking here then. So sperm clients are de declining. So a couple of generations from now, their baseline for even things such as testosterone levels is going to be much lower than the previous generations. So in essence, then they're not because that's kind of what makes man a man. That's a big part of it. So that means that that's lessening. And so does that mean that like men are becoming less men, if that makes sense? Yeah, you're really, <laughs> you're really, this is really tough, right? So the fact, whether testosterone is declining is a separate question. Okay. And the answer is yes. The answer is as far as we can see, yes. And actually we're gonna be del delving into that some more my group, my research group. But um, <clears throat> we know, what do we know about, we know there are published studies showing declines in testosterone in different countries, starting out kind of like that early 92 study. We were, that's where we are really with testosterone. We also know that um, <clears throat> the use of testosterone supplementation, you know, is going up in young men. Mm -hmm. um, we know that certain chemicals, particularly I, there's one famous study now, chemicals used to make plastic hard called BPA, that men who make that have more erectile dysfunction. So <clears throat> there's much less literature on these chemicals and testosterone use, but it's there and it's very disturbing because as you say, you know, we're in all, women too, depend on testosterone mm -hmm. for um, a lot of things, including the development in utero, when the male or female is in the womb, they need testosterone at a particular time for different kinds of development. So they need it for development of the general tract, they need it for development of the brain, um, and for other systems in the body. So that's all timed like a ballet score you know <clears throat> theater a play you know come in here or come on this cue that's the way the you know the, the it's all in, the, in your genetics and and if the testosterone isn't coming in on cue then the system that depends on it won't develop and i can go into more detail if you want but you're right it's absolutely essential that we have that testosterone. It's also essential that we have the other hormones that we need at the right time. So we need estrogen at certain times, we need thyroid hormone at certain times, and, and so on and so forth. So all of these hormones are playing a role in development. So I would say the biggest impact of chemicals that alter hormones is in fetal development. But it also matters in adulthood, like these men who manufacture this chemical BPA mm -hmm. and and get erectile dysfunction. You know that's adults. They're, that's not a fetal exposure. That's an adult exposure. Or smoking has to do with testosterone and it lowers sperm count. You know so mm -hmm. yeah. Is this smoking? Is it? Is it? Does this include? What about like I guess cannabis? Has that been studied or anything? Not so much. Not so much. Um, and I, I think or like vaping. Vaping, I guess they're vaping in there vaping, as well. Yeah, vaping is probably not going to be very different in terms of the exposure, but okay. but but 
cannabis and CBD mm-hmm. oil and so what that's an un, you know not largely unexplored area and important um <clears throat> so I don't know alcohol is complicated alcohol is um you know there's a lot of evidence that a little bit is good for you whether that acts to lower stress or some other thing mm-hmm. but then a lot of it is bad for you so you have if you look at the the harms if you if, if there's a curve at the bottom is the lowest risk the most least harm is the bottom and then it, more harm as you drink more and more and more harm as you drink less and less but the the, the less and less part is much lower it never gets very bad the really bad part is when you drink a lot yeah it's, of course that's tied into a lot of other things why do you do that that's that's a whole that's a whole other host of reasons yeah, right? <laughs> that's a whole other host of reasons. i had a conversation actually recently right, you on mentioned that. julian about the multi-generational effect and i think mm-hmm. that's important to talk about for a minute so <clears throat> when the woman is carrying a male let's just do it that way carrying a male she's affected by some chemicals they change her body's hormones that affects the development of the germ cell that the male carries in his testes okay so it's going to affect his sperm count and then when he gets to be an adult those germ cells that have been affected by the mother are going to be impaired and this can go on for we're not sure how many generations three for sure i just told you three but some people say up to seven on the flip side um scientists in the university of washington have showed that when you stop exposing the generations in other words you have an initial exposure and mm-hmm. things are messed up initially but then you keep everything clean for three generations you can restore full reproductive function okay okay so the the multi-generational thing can go both ways you see what I'm saying? You can mm-hmm. clean it up over a few generations, or you can damage it over several generations. Yeah, mm-hmm. that makes sense. And you know, kind of, I, I think this kind of connects with that. Is um, a term I've never heard of before your book, and listening to you a couple of your interviews is the anogenital distance. <laughs> and yeah. and um, I bet you have heard of it, Julian. Have you heard about the gooch, the grundle, oh. the taint? No, no, I haven't. No, I haven't. And the thing is, um, actually, no, I I did a year of medical school also, and um, before I I left, and um, or maybe I just blocked that out. These are street terms. These are street terms. No, I haven't. Oh man, I'm losing street cred. I'm losing street cred. (laughs) (laughs) I'm losing. No, I haven't. No. (laughs) If you go, if you go to Urban Dictionary. Okay. Right? Go to Urban Dictionary and you put in anogenital distance, you'll see a lot of street terms. It's a very well-known area of the body because it's very important, you know, sexually. So just look it up. Okay. And and what what we did, well, before us, what um, scientists did was notice that in rodents, um, this distance was nearly 50 to 100 percent bigger in males than females first of all so it's a reflection of maleness if you will Mm -hmm. uh genetic maleness i have to be careful about that because you know it's it's genetic men who are genetic males (laughs) have been longer in general right and um and then uh when 
what how does this happen? So it starts out that the general tract is just a little single ridge, okay? And then early in pregnancy, in the rat, we know exactly day 18 of gestation because they've done those studies. Humans, we don't know nearly as precisely, but we know it's the first trimester, probably early in the first trimester. The testicles start to develop in males, genetic males, and they make testosterone. And that testosterone tells the genetic male to start changing from the default. The default is this neutral, right? And so the the um, so the testicles start developing, and the penis, and so on and so forth. And this is all under the um, you know influence of the testosterone. Now, if you lower the testosterone, if it doesn't get there at the right time, if it doesn't get its cue, then this differentiation won't happen and the genital tract will remain female. So that's the default. So it starts out neutral, but then after this differentiation, what's left, if you will, is the female. Oh. Okay, so, so in a, in a male who's been exposed to something that knocks down testosterone at this critical time, that male will be under or incompletely masculinized. And this is called the phthalate syndrome. Why? Because phthalates are chemicals that can do this. Okay, so if you look up, I see you're taking notes, so that's good. So <laughs> you look up phthalate syndrome, and, and this was discovered Back in 2000, it was discovered that these chemicals that are in plastic and make plastic soft and flexible have the ability to disturb the development of the genitals in a way that ends up with smaller penis, smaller scrotum, shorter anogenital distance, oh. which results ultimately in low sperm count and lower fertility. Oh. Pretty powerful, right? From that little soft water bottle, <laughs> All the way through the sperm count, right? right. Oh my goodness! And so, and that and that's how this cycle, that's how that cycle can continue on. And so over time, this is you know the male's appendage is just going to get shorter and shorter and shorter, and testosterone and sperm and all of that. Oh man! And you know what? The Y, you know, the XX in the female, XY in the genetic male. The Y chromosome is shrinking. If you read you can read about this a book called the shrinking chromosome or something like that but okay. then there's papers on this that this chromosome is shrinking so there's lots of consequences to this and um it's fascinating and it's scary but this phthalate syndrome um when i heard about it i thought do humans have that because it was you know only found in mice and rats to start with and so I thought, well, how would you, how would you know, right? So in the, in the, in the rat model, let's just say, the mother rat, when she's pregnant, she's fed phthalates. If they were going to produce this, the phthalates. So they feed her and they know now what time of pregnancy to do it. It's days 18 to 21, but, and um, they feed her these phthalates and then they get the newborn rats and then they measure the taint right? <laughs> and the penis and all this. And, and then they 
for, they published lots of papers on this, the, the Fowley syndrome. So then I said, okay, well, if I'm gonna do that in humans, and you went to medical school, so you know you can start thinking about how you would do this. So you gotta have an exposure measure. Well, how do we get that? Well, we have to know what's in the mother's body. And it turns out that these phthalates are water soluble, so they're in the urine. So if we can get the mother's urine when she's pregnant around the right time, then we can see how much she had in her body. And then you have to have the other end, which is the baby. So then you have to get the baby and then you have to measure in the baby this distance and the penis size and the scrotal size and the descent of the testes, by the way, is impaired. So you have more undescended testicles following the, in the thalamic syndrome. Yeah. And you also have more defects of the penis of various kinds. So, so we, I did that. I designed that study. So I, I took pregnant women's urine, sent it to CDC, and they could measure how much phthalate was in it. That's actually fairly easy to do. And then we got the babies and brought them in and measured all the stuff <laughs> in males and females and then related it to what was in the mother's body. That's epidemiology. That's what we do. It's fun. It's actually really fun. <laughs> maybe, maybe not your kind of fun. But <laughs> and, and, and we found the phthalate syndrome in humans. We were the first you know, to do that. And, um, and then we said, well, maybe that was a fluke. So we did it all again. New study, new pregnant women, new babies, new measurements, found it again. And then other people started finding it. So it's it's a thing. It's definitely a thing that, you know, the phthalate syndrome is a consequence of prenatal, early prenatal phthalate exposure in humans as well as animals. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm sure a listener is going to be thinking this, or maybe it's just me. Is there an optimal tank length? Optimal, huh? That's a good question. Um, I wouldn't say there's an optimal, I would say it's a continuum. You see, it's, a, it's, it's uh, like your height, like everything, every human measurement. Um, and the smaller it is, the less male typical it is. That's, okay. that's what we can, okay. Um, it's the same thing, yeah with, you know, like men tend to be taller and, you know, broader shoulder, you know, there's just lots of physiological measurements that are different in genetic males and genetic females. And, and this is, this is one of them, by the way, you might be amused by this because you, you obviously like science. And um, so all mammals have this, you know, strange difference. It's not so strange actually between males and females, except the hyena, right? So the hyena, <laughs> the females are actually, genetic females are a little bigger. And elephants, they're about equal. So, the, you know, this has been measured in lots and lots of species now. But for most mammals, most mammals, it's going to be 50 to 100% longer in females than in males. Wow. Those are just things you never you know, think about. If you, if you think, let me just say one more thing. If you think about what you're measuring, anal genital that's anus to the genitals right mm -hmm. so that's what is often called the perineal area right mm -hmm. and if you think <laughs> about what what's in there 
what's in there? What's between the anus and the genitals in a male and a female? There's a lot more stuff mm-hmm. in the male. And, and that's because the organs in the female are internal. You see? Mm-hmm. And for the male, they're external. And so they have to, they take more space. So that just stands to reason that's going to, you know, be longer. Wow. And, and so, so, so the, this distance is turning out to be a very good reflection of a lot of things. And one of the things it reflects is how much testosterone did that newborn or infant, you know, experience in utero? In, let me say something about the females because it matters for females too. So, <clears throat> some females have more testosterone due to genetic causes or conditions in the mother. So one of those is um, PCOS. So you know what that is? PCOS? Mm-hmm. Polycystic ovarian syndrome, right? And in that, that's a, that's a condition of, that women have, um, which is, you know, accompanied by an excess of testosterone. So if a woman is PCOS and she's having a girl, that girl, that female will be exposed to excess testosterone. And guess what? Her AGD is going to be longer. And we showed that in our study. Because the mother had more testosterone, that's reflected in the girl's AGD. So she has a somewhat more masculine AGD. And that's also true of a condition called CAH, which is a genetic condition of excess, which implies excess testosterone. So what this AGD tells you is how much testosterone was there when this fetus was developing in early pregnancy. And then it tells you, for the male, how, what their sperm count is going to be. So several studies have showed that when the AGD is shorter, that the sperm count is lower, and the men are less, more likely to be infertile. And we haven't done that study for females, by the way, so I don't know. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is probably not accurate, and I don't even know if it's appropriate, but I, is there what, sometimes I think now like with listening to this that I you can kind of see how people act in the real world and why certain demographics are increasing and could you, I mean I'm sure this is one of the key things like you mentioned right like the um the AGD like yeah. if you can see like like why some women are just hyper masculine and like why are so what's your question? I'm not sure what your question is. It's, it's, it's more of a, uh, it's more of me just rambling and just thinking of, as I go out into the world, if I see women who are just hyper masculine, in my head, am I going to start thinking, I want, you know, maybe their AGD distance is a little more extended than it should be. And then thinking of going back to how things were at birth and everything. Yeah. Um, so. I have, I, I want to say, I don't want to, I want to be careful not to say what they should be, because that that's yeah. a value judgment. And I don't want to say that. Um, I think there's a range. And <clears throat> there is a correlation between behavior and the length of the AGD. There you okay. go. That's that's so, much more concise yeah. than, than what I was thinking in my head. Yeah, yeah. And but I don't want to say one is good or bad. I'm just right. saying there's a difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's all. Okay, yes, that's what I was getting at. That's what I was gonna that was much more concise than, yeah, than, sure. than my uh, ramble right there. And so um, briefly talking about reproductive health, and I think in the talk, 
and the, the talks now, some of the news is talking about population declining, and there's a segment that thinks the world needs to populate decline. Um, it seems like with this going on, that's happening, but that's not necessarily a, a good thing. And so I guess to talk a little bit about population decline and reproductive health in general, because we briefly touched on reproductive health. So what are some other things in terms of that's affected during reproductive health, in particular, like the fetus and overall neurodevelopment of the kids? Okay, so reproductive health and neurodevelopment are different things, although they're related. So mm -hmm. I maybe we'll talk about neurodevelopment, but that's really not what the book is about or what mm -hmm. my ex, you know, we've done studies on that, but let's put that aside. Okay. So um, in terms of population uh, growth or decline, um, the world's population has declined about the same rate as sperm count, about 1% per year. So back in 1960, women had five, women or couples had 5.4 children over their lifetime, okay? And in now it's um, it's about 2.4 worldwide, okay? So that's interesting, right? Because this is declining at the same rate as sperm count. It's also a similar rate to what we know about declining testosterone and increasing miscarriage, by the way. Um, so, is this a good thing? Um, that's, I, I try to stay away from value judgments, but I want to point out that inability to have a child when and if you want to is being, I think, deprived of a basic human right that we and all species should be able to reproduce if we choose, if we choose to. Now, that's not to say we should, but that if that, that's our choice, that should be our choice, that's all. And not have it taken away from us by chemicals that our mother was exposed to, for example, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so one way that I think declining population is not a good thing is that it reflects the limitation of that choice, okay? That said, there's a declining population is certainly not just declining sperm count. And, and if we look at countries in which population fertility has declined, that decline is greater in countries where there's um, better education for women, more contraception, women in the workforce, and so on and so forth. So these are again, not, I don't want to put value judgments on things, but, but I think these are things that that women prefer, you know, they have the option not to have children, they have the option to go to work instead of stay home with a bunch of kids, you know. Um, and so that's not, you know, that's not a bad thing, <laughs> um, necessarily. Um, and the other thing to, to mention is that the to the extent to which sperm count is declining and affecting fertility decline, it's also affecting health. So men who have low sperm counts die younger. Okay, I'm saying that again. Men with low sperm counts die younger. It's a pretty big statement, right? Mm -hmm. um, so to say, you know, if if the declining population is in part reflecting as it, it does, I think, the lowering of reproductive 
success, in, you know, including sperm counts, um, you're talking, looking at a trend toward um, earlier death. These men who have low sperm counts, I don't want to scare your listeners, but um, they tend to have more diabetes, more cardiovascular disease, more reproductive cancers, which adds up to, mm-hmm. you know, shorter lifespan. So, and the female side has been much less studied, by the way. <clears throat> so I think my, I know you advise people on how to live well, right? Mm-hmm. That's one of the things you do. Mm-hmm. I would suggest two things. One is that people get their body burden measured for these chemicals. And I can tell you how to do that if you want. Yeah, and I, think, secondly, I think that'll be beneficial. Yeah. And secondly, that men get their sperm count measured. And there are some options. <clears throat> if, you're, if your semen quality is good, you can bank that sperm. And then later on, if things interfere, you know, with the production of sperm, you'll have those as a resource. Um, and females also can bank their eggs, although that's much more difficult, costly, and problematic. So, but as you know, banking sperm is, is now quite easy. There are companies, quite a few now, which are good, reliable, and you can send your sample in, um, collect it at home, send it in, have it tested. Same thing with urine. If you, if you give a urine sample to a company, um, I don't want to give brand names on the, on the <laughs> I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't want to endorse companies here, but there are, you can hunt around for this. There are companies that will take your urine sample and tell you how much phthalates are in it, how much bisphenol A is in it, how much, and much PFAS chemicals are in it, and pesticides and all these things. So you know what you're carrying around. So I think my message would be to your listeners is that try to know as much as possible about the products that you take in and what actually is in your body. That goes along with the whole message. I'm all about preventative health and, and, and right, doing no. a lot. Yeah. yeah. And so I think yeah. I mean, this is great. And I'm going to add this and do some searching for myself. Um, this is, I've never, you know, I, I think this is just something, and you know, speaking for myself that you just take for granted. I'm healthy. I got great body fat levels. My labs are good. So right. whenever the time comes, it'll be no problem. You'll be good to go, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. No problems. Yeah. Yes. Because yes. because typically you think though, because that's most people think like, I don't have any signs or the typical right. list of health problems. You don't think about phthalates and just the plastics, the BPA in terms of affecting just the quality to um, to conceive and and your overall testosterone. So I, right. I mean that's that's a that's a very interesting one. And so um, it's I think, not hard. No, yeah. there's much there's much more difficult things. There's much more difficult things to do and get done. Right, than, like than this here. Right. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. So those are the two main things. It was, and so those are the two main things. Um, how would you advise somebody who's overwhelmed right now thinking about like, wow, my kitchen, my kitchen, my shampoo, my toothpaste, you know, everything. They get a right, little right. paranoid. Right. So um, first of all, I would say, don't make yourself crazy. You know, don't become obsessive about this. And, and you know, I like to say, don't let perfect be the enemy of the good, right? Mm-hmm. You want to pay attention, but you know, and um, I would say, 
if you could do one thing, I would say worry about your food. Um, and the best option is not is a hard option, and that is to eat organic, unprocessed food. So if we all had a lot of time and we were living near a farmer's market, for example, we would go and we would buy a bunch of carrots and a, you know, whatever you buy at the farmer's market, you'll take it back, you'll clean it, and then you eat it. In that chain, aside from what might have been sprayed on the sprayed on the chemicals before you bought them, there, there's nothing introduced, right? Unless you cook it in a nonstick pan, don't do that. <laughs> so cook it in a cast iron pan. Mm -hmm. um, and then you, what you don't want to do is you don't want to store in plastic. And by the way, not all plastics are equal, so we can talk about that. But you don't want to store in plastic. You don't want to microwave in plastic, for sure. Um, and you don't want to drink your water out of a bottle containing, say, BPA, which makes it hard. And those hard water bottles, that's not a good thing. Um, by the way, there are alternatives to BPA, which are not labeled like BPS and BPF, and they do the same thing as BPA, but they were introduced when people were, you know, told not to eat BPA, not to drink water out of BPA, and so they manufacturers published, you know, BPA free and people bought it. But in fact, they had to substitute something to make it hard. And that something is another bisphenol, which has the same property. So just oh, be true. careful with these hard water bottles. Get a stainless steel bottle, you know, and they're not breakable, they're easy to carry. And yeah. So I would say watch what watch your liquids and watch your food don't eat out of tin cans if you can help it and don't eat processed food if you can help it because when when food gets processed um in the factory it usually or often goes through plastic tubing and soft plastic tubing unless the company has explicitly removed it will contain phthalates so you're going to be introducing you know it gets into the food the phthalates are not tightly bound to the plastic they come out when the food particularly is warm goes into the food gets into your body there it is so we've all got them in 100 percent of us has them have these chemicals in our body right now so uh, yeah it's i guess it's it depends uh, yeah so it's i guess kind of how i think about it or, or how i'm thinking about it right now is that it's pretty near impossible to have like a zero count of these things but it's more about it how it can is. you mitigate this to the best of your ability right there's a book Jillian. um it's called slow death by rubber duck okay it's a very nice book and um two authors um decided to see if they could lower their levels of these chemicals so they before they started they had their body tested by the way the chemicals i've been talking about are soluble in water and so you look at urine but there are other chemicals that are not and they're um, the more persistent chemicals and they're stored they're fat soluble and so they're stored in our fat and we measure them in our serum okay so depending on what you're after you'll you'll look at the urine or the blood or whatever okay. and and so these guys did that and then they went into a room actually in the home of the mother of one of these guys and cleaned it up 
So they were really careful, no air fresheners plugged into the wall and you know, no laundry detergent with a smell. By the way, smell is really bad. Scent contains phthalates and other chemicals. So you don't want anything smelling. And, and so they got those out of our, their lives and they um, were very careful about what they ate. They ate unprocessed food. And, and then after they did that for a while, they retested and their levels had gone down. So it's kind of a feel good story in that you can do that. And, maybe not so feel good because there's a lot of work <laughs> you know a lot of effort yeah mm -hmm. yeah. yeah but I, I think that's a that's a positive note and kind of as we wrap this down because i'm gonna be respectful of your time what are um i'm out of curiosity what are what are some things on the horizon for you in terms of like what are the next things that you're going to study in this uh topic oh that's a nice question you know i can't remember anybody asking that question in all these interviews I've given, so that's great <laughs> um <laughs> So um, I'm very concerned about a pesticide um, called Roundup, oh, okay. um, glyphosate, mm -hmm. which is um, the most widely used pesticide in the world and has been hardly studied at all. So I'm working on that. And another thing I'm working on is um, uh, Tylenol. That may be surprising, but um, Tylenol is again, one of the most widely used analgesics in the world. It's used by over 60% of pregnant women worldwide. And it has effects on the fetus, many of them similar to the chemicals we've been discussing. So that's that's really? a concern. Yeah. Wow. And, and then, like I said, I'm interested in looking at the trends in testosterone and what's that doing to young men and, 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 and so on and so forth. So I'd say those are, and, and then the other thing, Julian, is, and, and this is part of that effort. I'm working on how to get these messages over mm -hmm. to more people, more simply, more clearly, not just talking at a scientific conference, not just publishing in a scientific journal, but talking to, you know, the couple on the street mm -hmm. that's having trouble or, you know, and that kind of communication is not taught in medical school and it's not taught in the schools I went to. You know, and so I think one of the reasons, you know, when I would, I went, was on the Joe Rogan experience podcast. Mm -hmm. I liked that very much. It was a good experience. And at the end of it, Joe said, How come we don't know about this? Right. That was his last thing he said. Mm -hmm. And so I'm working on answering that question. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's a problem that I faced. You learn to speak so scientific. And, you know, when you get to writing, and trying to communicate to the general public it, it, it's words that they can't really relate to because and so you're basically yeah. writing to your peers and colleagues who already understand this so you're existing in this vacuum that is still not really solving anything so i had to really right. i had to really learn how to explain concepts in a very simple way as you right. know yeah so it, it's it's needed but it, it's just it's just a process because i think a lot of this is something that i think a lot of us we need to we need pain or we're very reactive. So we need to really feel it or see it before we want to do something about it. That's right. And so, you know, if you know a couple who's having trouble getting pregnant mm -hmm. or you are yourself, you'll pay more attention. Exactly. Right. Yeah. That's right. Right. Mm -hmm. right. Because, right. you know, even in just my world a little bit there, there's more and more people who are just specializing in preconception and focusing yeah. just specifically on that. And, and, and helping for a healthier pregnancy because it's becoming more of a widespread issue. Yeah, fortunately.
So, but this has been a wonderful conversation. Um, where would you like listeners to go? I'd like them to go and read Countdown. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I don't think I can show you because this my background is blurred. Can you? Yep, see we can. That? We can see it. We can. We can see it a little bit. We can see it a little bit. And, <laughs> yeah. And if you type in That's Countdown, yeah. Yeah. If, if you type it in. Yeah, you're going to see it. I'm going to have it in the show notes and I'm going to have yeah. your website. And, and, and be careful well. that you say count down two words, capital C, capital D, mm-hmm. because the single word countdown is the title of another book. Oh. So count <laughs> face down. <laughs> okay. Thank you for reminding me. I'm, I'm going to do that um, because um, I, typed yeah. in, I typed in your name. And so, um, yeah. um, so I'm going to make sure to do that and remember and um yeah after you do a lot of this research i look forward and i hope to once again have have you on for another conversation to talk about the latest because that's interesting because glyphosate roundup i've heard about it for a very long time and i didn't know it wasn't studied i just assumed it was studied since i heard about it so much same thing with aspirin yeah i just so wow not aspirin tylenol aspirin Aspirin is not taken by pregnant women yes. because it does other bad things. But yes. Tylenol is considered tylenol. safe. But it's yeah, tylenol. that was a flub, yeah. flub on my part. Right. Tylenol, good for catching that. Right. Yes. <laughs> but uh, but yes, thank you so much once again, and um, listeners out there, stay awesome, be limitless, and as always, go be the CEO of your health and your life. Bye bye.